This is a reminder, you are listening to the delayed broadcast here on Faith FM. If you would like to listen to the live show and interact with Mon and myself for the breakfast show, then simply go to faithfm.com.au and press play or use the TuneIn radio app. Welcome back, guys. You're listening to Faith FM. This is Encounter with God section. And this morning, Kelvin is joining us. Welcome to the show, Kelvin. Uh, let me. Uh, might be help if I switch your uh, microphone on. There you go. Net, net, now you're on air. Lovely. Hey, okay, so encounter with God section is our uh, is our section where we deal with our Bible study of the days. We call the twenty million movements. So twenty million people around the world studying the Bible together. Before we get into it, I am going to give you a quick reminder. On occasions, we get uh, requests from people wondering what they can do about the fact that they live on the edge of or they drive out of the edge of the signal, the broadcast signal for Faith FM Radio. And the solution is very simple. Just pick up your phone, plug it into your car stereo, or Bluetooth it, or however you would like to do it. Go to faithfm.com.au and press play. Simple as that. You'll have a perfect signal wherever you are. Unless you're in the middle of the Simpson Desert, where I found that it did not exist. Um, the other alternative, of course, is to go to uh, is just download a radio app. We use the TuneIn radio app. We use the free version of that, and uh, it works great as well. Anyway, Kelvin, we have another clue for our obscure quiz today. Hit me. What is it? I reigned as king over Israel for two years. The house of Judah, however. Followed David. Okay, so David is reigning over Judah. Who is reigning over Israel? You can find the answer to that one, then give us a call. 1-800-324-843 or text us on 0491-064-669. I like it when we have an obscure. That's um, tricky. That's, that's not an easy one for me. No, that's not an easy one. This is not somebody that we talk about. I've never, ever heard a sermon about this person, and I've never, ever met anyone who has this particular name. We were just talking about some of the names in the Bible that we've never met anyone that had. So here's, here's your challenge. If you are planning children, or maybe you're, going, maybe, maybe you're <laughs> expecting soon, we have some obscure Bible names that we are recommending. So what did we come up with there? Um, we had Eglon. Eglon, yeah. We had Ehud. Uh-huh. Ehud, he was, he was a serious dude. He, that guy was a, um, he was a ninja. We had Mahershalal Hashbaz. Mahershalal Hashbaz, longest name in the Bible. Um, nickname your kid Baz. Baz is a cool name. And then you've got some other alternatives. You've got Apollon. Apollos. Yeah, let's not go with Apollon. Uh, Apollos is nice. What was the Lord of the Flies? Ooh, you got Be- me on that one. Belial, no, not Belial. Be, I don't know. We could go with uh, Bezalel. Bezalel is a nice name. Balaam, Balak. Yeah, kind of got some negative connotations there. I didn't say they'd be nice names. <laughs> Just biblical. Okay, and this one, when you get it, uh, we'll, we'll see if somebody out there will will bite on this one as a uh, as a name. You could give it to your kid as a second name, maybe just to, to have uh, revenge on your kid for all the trouble they are going to bring you. What if you've got a child that's born and it's a nine-pound, 11-ounce baby? Could you call it Goliath? You could. You could definitely. Goliath, I mean, hey, he was a, uh, a, a bit of an enemy of God's people, but he was a serious dude. He was, he was the man back in his day. Yeah. And, you know, 
Um, there's a few people around here that I would uh, nickname Goliath. Anyway, uh, Kelvin, we are going to turn in our Bibles this morning for our Bible study to the Gospel of John. John chapter 3. Luke, John. Yep. John chapter 3. Uh-huh. I'm just about there. Yep. He's turning, 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 turning. We're there. And verse 16. Verse 16. Yes. What does that one say? Do you want to share that? Uh-huh. John chapter 3, verse 16 for everyone out there. Turn with me. For God loved the world so much. Do I need the Bible? I knew if I said no, I knew if I said go to John chapter three that you would busily turn all your pages yeah. to John chapter three. Yep. And then, and then I thought 16. I'll throw it out as verse sixteen and see if he tweaks and he's looking, yep. looking, looking. It's like you don't need to look for this one. All right, why okay, now quote it for me. For God so loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son that whoever, or this version says, everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Okay, I've got the KJV, which I believe says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in, who be, whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. What does the word begotten mean? Brought forth. It, yeah, it also means to bring something forth with effort. Oh. So if Jesus Christ was begotten by God, that means that God put effort into Jesus. Absolutely. For Jesus to be presented as a Messiah, there was effort put into him. There's a, there's so many there's so many aspects. I mean, this is the most famous mm. verse in the Bible. Yep. And there are so many different things you can draw out of it. Uh, okay, so if Jesus was begotten, mm. if God the Father put effort into making Jesus who Jesus is, does that then mean that Jesus is a created being, that he has an origin? Ooh, that's, there's a... Ah, that, <laughs> there's depends on which one. way you want to go with that one. All right, so let me uh, let me toss out a, uh, a couple of thoughts in relationship to this. Okay. Um, if we go to... And yeah, it's, it's, it's a good point to raise. Hold your finger there. Uh, let's go to Colossians. I wasn't expecting to go this direction with our Bible study this morning, but we will. Colossians chapter 1, and let's read beginning in... Hang on, I'm still looking for Colossians. Colossians. Goats eat paper continually. Goats Galatians, eat paper. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Okay, we're going to start in verse... Uh, let's start in verse 14. Colossians, yep. 14 and 15. What chapter? Colossians 1, verse 14 chapter and 15. One, verse 14 and 15, yep. Mm-hmm. That's verse 13, so let's go to 14. Who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. Mm-hmm. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. Okay, let me read this from my translation. In verse 15, mine says that Jesus, speaking about Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. Mm. So is Jesus the first creature that was ever born? Did uh, Was Jesus born from God the Father at some distant point in eternity? So is that talking chronologically? Because from a, an importance point of view, he being the Savior and the Messiah of the world would be firstborn because he's preeminent. Yes. He's more important. Yes. So if you're writing a list, he'd go to the top of the list every time. Yes. 
So it can't be speaking chronologically, can it? It cannot be speaking chronologically. It is impossible for this to be speaking chronologically. When the Bible speaks about firstborn, it is first in preeminence, not first in mm-hmm. chronology. And we know that because of what it says in verse 17. What do you got in verse 17, your translation? New Living Translation says, He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Wow. Okay, so he verse. existed before anything else. That verse would be impossible if Jesus was not eternal. The only way that you can exist before anything else is to be eternal. Because the reality is, if God the Father had existed before Jesus, then Jesus would not have existed before anything else. It would have been. It would read, he had existed before anything else except for the Father. There are no exceptions in this verse. Therefore, we know the context defines first as being first in preeminence, not first chronologically. Okay, I understand that. Yep. All right, so let's go back to our concept of the firstborn. When was Jesus born? And I'm going to give you, I'm going to state that Jesus was born three times. He was the firstborn three times. Three times. Uh, three times. Three wow. times. Yeah, absolutely. Three times. I have Kelvin's attention. Yeah. All right, so let's say, go got to some evidence for this. I've got I've got some very good evidence <laughs> for this. Let's go to Revelation. Okay. Now I know where Revelation is. Uh, chapter one and let me see here. Verse five. Revelation one and verse five. Hit me. The Bible says, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead. So here the Bible speaks about Jesus as the first begotten of the dead. What does it mean, the first begotten or brought forth from the dead? What does that mean? Resurrected. First one resurrected, that's right. Um, And so if Jesus was the... Okay, so here's another question. Was Jesus the first person ever to be resurrected? No. No, we've got a whole bunch of them before Jesus, don't we? Enoch, Moses. Enoch never died. Moses was resurrected. Enoch got translated. Yep. yep. Let's see if we can. Let's Moses see how many died. we can think of. So we've got Moses. We have. Uh, let me think. We have the Shunammite woman's son. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. We have the man who was thrown into the grave on top of Elisha's bones. Yep. We have Lazarus. The widow of Nain's son, Elijah Jairus's daughter, laid on on top of the boy. That, that was the Shunammite the son. Shunammite. Yep, yep, yep. Okay, so we've got a, we've got quite a number here of people resurrected from the dead. And also, you've got before Jesus was resurrected. Before then, yeah. But then at his um, resurrection, you've got all of this. at his death. At his death, sorry. There's a there's a resurrection. You've got twenty four people running around the city of Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. To me, Resurrected that, from the dead. Yep. So okay. There's a, a, a decent list. There is a decent list of people who have been resurrected from the dead before Jesus was resurrected from the dead, and yet the Bible says he is the first brought forth from the dead. Clearly, once again, this is referring to first in preeminence, not first chronologically. Yes. Okay. So here's what let's 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 work, let's work our way backwards. Three times that Jesus has been begotten. Working our way backwards, the last time that Jesus was begotten was when he was begotten from the dead. All right? The second time that Jesus was begotten was when he was begotten of Mary and God. 
So in other words, the incarnation. But there is a third time. And this one is going to be based on Revelation chapter 13. And while we're turning to Revelation chapter 13, let me ask you this question, Kelvin. When did Jesus die? What year? Well, there's a bit of conjecture about his There birth, is conjecture. And that would affect... Um, but According to Daniel chapter 9, we'd go with AD 31, right? 31 and a half, I think. 31, half. Oh, a very specific year. Yep. 31 and a half. There you go. Okay, so uh, we know that. Okay, and even if you even if you delve into the conjecture that is outside of the scriptures that you find in Daniel chapter 9, you're going to find that um, it's all going to be around about the same period, somewhere between you know 30 to 33 to 34, somewhere in that range is where pretty much any historian is going to place the death of Jesus. When does the Bible say that Jesus died? Uh, let's go to Revelation chapter 13 and verse 8, please. I can tell you very confidently, he died on time. When the fullness of time was come, the yep. Bible says. So Revelation 13 verse 8. Yes. And all the people who belong to this world worshipped the beast. They are the ones whose names were not written in the book of life before the world was made. The book that belongs to the Lamb who was slaughtered. Okay, let me read it from my translation. It's New Living Translation. That's NLT. Let me read it from the from the good old KJ, KJV. All who live on the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. So when does this verse say that Jesus was slain? The foundation wow. of the world. Even before the... Before the foundation of the world. Okay. Why does the Bible say that? Well, I have come across this before. Like, the Bible talks about things as having been done even before chronologically they've actually come to pass. So whether, for my mind, like if God says, I'm going to do that tomorrow, it's money in the bank. It's as good as having been done, even though it hasn't been carried out yet. That's right. Absolutely. So I think Scripture does talk about things using past or present or future tense and because interchangeable. The, because the promises of God is so sure. Because I'm Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. doesn't matter when and it happens. And if God says something, it is counted as present reality. True. Yep. And when the promise of the incarnation was made, it was counted as present reality. Well, from the moment that promise was made, which I believe was made from all eternity, um, Jesus from all eternity was the, the incarnate Son of God. It had not literally taken place yet, but it was counted as reality. And you'll find that principle in a bunch of different places in the Bible. You know where John says, you know, uh, sorry, um, Jesus says, if you if you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have eternal life. Present reality, and I'll raise you up at the last day. Well, you can't have a resurrection unless you have a death. Um, so you've got to have, yeah, the promises of God are so sure they are always counted as present reality. They are present reality. I'm fascinated with the concept of time traveling, but here, in effect, God or Jesus is the original time traveler. Nothing like a good time traveling movie. <laughs> and on that thought, this is the next point that we need to look at, um, and we are we, we we are delving deep this morning. Um, let's go to Second Peter, chapter three, and verse eight. Second Peter, chapter three. And verse 8. We, we got way sidetracked here this morning, by Sorry. the way. Yeah. But that's, that's all right. 
I love okay. a wandering path. <laughs> Second Peter. Chapter 3 and verse 8. 3 and verse 8 says, But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. Now, a lot of people come to me on this particular verse and say, that does this mean that a day symbolizes a thousand years? Actually, the verse cancels out any possibility of that being true. Let's actually catch what the verse says. It says, a day is like a thousand years for the Lord. So let's stop there for a moment. That means that uh, you know six days pass and it's like 6,000 years have passed, right? True. Yep. <coughs> so for God, the history of our world has been very short. Okay? Yep. But then looks, let's look what else it says. It says, and a thousand years, <coughs> excuse me, a thousand years is like a day. So in other words, every day that this world continues for God is like a thousand years. The Bible is not trying to tell you what kind of time zone God exists in. The Bible is trying to tell you that God exists outside of time. He can stretch time or slow it down. He exists will. in a different realm, one that we yep. do not fully understand. And, of course, we always love to, uh, as human beings, tie everything down to human understanding and uh, human concepts so that we can you know, try and you know, make everything human. We we think we're always so good, and God's like, you know what? I just I just exist exist outside of time. It's all good. You and know. it's crazy from our perspective. We think a thousand years is quite a long time, um, but it says the next verse: the Lord isn't really being slow. No. If, if a thousand years is not slow, then what is slow? Well, a thousand years when you have eternity is um, not a great deal of time at all, really. Yeah, eternity is a blink. Yep. God is not slow, but God is definitely thorough and God is merciful. We need to go back to John chapter 3 and verse 16 uh, because we are going to look deeper at this verse. It's an interesting thought that everybody memorizes John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. The most famous verse in the Bible. But what about the next verse, Kelvin? I love verse 17. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. Okay. And if you go to uh, the KJV once again, it's interesting to contrast these two, you know, a very old translation with a very new translation. Um, let me just read this one from uh, the KJV, which, you know, when we memorize John 3.16, we really should memorize John 17 as well, I think. Because the message of John of verse seventeen is is just every bit as powerful and complementary to verse sixteen. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world. No. But that the world through Him might be saved. You know, John three sixteen and seventeen outlines God's attitude towards humans. In the past, Christianity has projected an attitude of God as being nothing other than a killjoy. Yeah, we worry about God sits judgment. up in heaven to try and look down on earth and anything that is fun, he says, don't do that. Get rid of that. Yep. Can't do that. If it's fun, just get rid of it. And we also look at God as somebody who examines our lives looking for a reason to keep us out of heaven. Like, ooh, yep, I tripped him up. He's not coming into heaven. You know, how many of us have that attitude towards God? 
that we feel that God is looking at it at us and God is judging us based on trying to keep us out of heaven. And it's funny, God has done so much to give us the opportunity to get into heaven. It doesn't make sense that he would be a harsh judge to keep us out. Yeah. And so what you find here is, of course, that religion has been used politically down through the centuries to try and control people, and it is much easier to control people with fear than with love. And so they just smear over all of what the Bible has to say, and when people get away from the Bible, they end up with a God that they fear rather than a God that they love. We need to come back to the God of the Bible, the one who did not come to condemn us, but the one who came to save us and to make sure that as many people got into heaven as possibly could. This is Doris Johnson with I Am a Soldier of the Cross. Welcome back, guys, and that's what happens when you leave Lyle driving the microphones and not Mon. 
Uh, I hope you enjoyed our Bible study behind the Bible study while the song was playing, bubbling along there in the background. Calvin and I discussing about, uh, yeah, the love of God. Anyway, we were in John chapter 3 and verse 16. So many things you can draw out of this. Um, Here's something else, uh, Calvin. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever... What's significant about the word whosoever? Pretty inclusive. It's inclusive. It means that anyone can. Uh, what it does not say is the selected ones. What do you mean by that? What, okay, so here's, here's, what it, here's what it doesn't say. It doesn't say that it doesn't teach predestination. Yep. It's for whosoever. In other words, so the gospel and the power of salvation is available to every single person on this planet. And when we talk about predestination, I'm talking about the doctrine of predestination that you do some, sometimes here within some evangelical circles. And basically the way the, work, the doctrine of predestination works is this. God sits up in heaven and he creates some people to be saved and he creates other people so he can burn them for eternity. Yep. And we That's accuse, a horrific picture of God. We accuse God of being arbitrary. Yeah, because he's the one that chooses, and this is a this is a this is a verse that is really outlining the true character of God, and rather than that horrific character of you know one who creates literally billions of people so that he can burn them for eternity, it's like no, the gospel is there, it's free, and it is available for whosoever whosoever believes in him. So instead of getting cranky at God for excluding us out of heaven, I read this and go, well, it's up to us to believe, and it's us to us to choose. Yeah. So it's actually our choice that keeps us out of heaven, not God's choice. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely, through and through. The other thing that it destroys within that same doctrine, this verse destroys, is the concept of that God will burn them for eternity. Because the Bible says here that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Reverse that equation. Let's say that you choose not to believe in God. What does this verse say will happen to you? You will perish. You will perish. So rather than, it doesn't, it doesn't say here anything about, you, you, you're going to say something? That, oh, yeah, it's not saying you're going to live eternally under punishment and under hellfire. No, not at all. It says you'll perish. Yep. Now, I have seen things perish. We have, you know, you put something in the fridge and it perishes. It rots away. Sometimes you open that dark corner or go to that back shelf of the fridge and you find that science experiment sitting back there that's been there a bit too long. You don't <laughs> find it in my fridge except for when my wife goes away for too long. It might be <laughs> she's heading away for uh, this week, so there might be a few science experiments when she gets back. But um, when something perishes, it's gone. It's done. It's over. It's, it, it's finished. It is not living on eternally whatsoever at all. So this is a really powerful verse. Mortal. Yep. The Bible tells us about who God is. The Bible tells us about the character of God. The Bible tells us um, who God is not, what he doesn't do, gets rid of the concept of predestination hellfire just in one verse, or eternal hellfire, I should say. And then it tells us what God's attitude towards is us is, that he came not to condemn the world, but that he came to save the world. Okay, so let's... Uh... Why is it that we focus on the judgment, though? Because the judgment here, it's saying that the judgment is not the issue. The issue is salvation. Why do we focus on judgment, then? Why do we get so fixated with that and we miss the point? It's a really good question. I think it's a bit of a human bent to uh, default to the negative. So it's easy to blame someone else. I'm not going to heaven because it's your fault. Yeah, well, you've got that. And also, you know... Um, 
and this is why we have positively different radio here on Faith FM, if you think about your average radio station is going to have a lot of negative news because negative news is what catches people's attention. That's what they're listening to. And researchers have spent you know, enormous amounts of money trying to figure out what kind of stories people want to hear. And they want to hear negative stories. This is not a negative story. This is an incredibly positive story. And so we as human beings are always still going to find the negative within the story. And so rather than finding all the positives in it, we focus on the condemnation of God rather than the saving grace of God. Human nature, I think. It's just, yeah. We are broken. We are, we are broken. We, we are indeed. We do the right thing. And we have evidence of it right here. Okay, let's go to Romans chapter 8, please, Kelvin. Romans chapter 8. And we're going to read verse 20 and 23. We're going to find out, you know, what does this teach us about the broader issues of the plan of salvation? Romans 8 verse 23, you said. 22, 23. 22 and 23, okay. No, 20. Oh, sorry. Through to. Ah, uh, inclusive. Inclusive of 23. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom. Wow. So it's saying that creation is is one of God's children. In glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies... Sorry, to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait for the eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. Okay. Um, when you look at this passage here, there's a, there's a number of things that we need to, um, to, to to really look at. Beginning, Going back to verse 20, 20. for the creature was made subject... Um, yeah, your, your, your verse, your, your translation is... Different. Your translation is much better than mine, um, but the Bible talks about the Bible talks about um, nature groaning. Is nature groaning under the curse of sin? You've got to define. To me, it helps to define what groaning is. Okay, so let's think about groaning. If somebody groans, what is it indicative of? Well, I've, I think of a piece of timber. When you put a he- heavy weight on a piece of timber, it groans, it crackles, it creaks. Oh, indeed it does. And bends under the weight. It's deformed. So yes. for us, we groan under the weight of sin. Like under we're the deformed and bent out of shape. Mm-hmm. All right, what if you sin. have a human being that is groaning? He's whinging, whining, complaining, verbalizing yep. um, his emotions, his feelings, what he's going through. Yes, indeed. Okay, so groaning it could be under weight, it could be under pain. So our world, nature, is in pain. It is groaning. It is feeling the pressure of sin. So let's think about that from a uh, just from a purely a uh, you know because the Bible talks about you know nature groaning. Let's let's think about our world right now. Is our is our world groaning? Um, is our world feeling the pressure of sin? Is our world in pain? And not even just thinking about human beings, but nature in general. What I like here it says it's groaning as in childbirth. Like yes, that's pretty severe. That's when full you on. go to 
an obstetrics wing in a hospital, there's quite vocal groaning going on. So this is not a gentle, oh, I've got an ache in my big toe. Like this is a wailing, a screaming, a calling out, if you like. Yeah, cool. Fantastic. All right. Um, And, you know, when we look at, uh, or we've been talking about this morning, about the hurricane in the Bahamas, is nature groaning? You know, we were, we, we were mentioning earlier that uh, we have a situation here on Faith FM where almost on a daily basis I can report a new record about the weather. You know, it's not daily, but it kind of feels that way. It's like, oh, here comes the same story again. The weather is messed up. Every We've week. broken new records. Yeah, every week there's something ostentatious to report. Yeah, mm. yeah. And this should catch the attention of thinking men and women everywhere. We are living in the end of time. Jesus is coming back soon. He's coming back to save us. This is uh, Kemi again with Songs in the Night. Notes of praise in the hour of darkness Notes of praise when God seems silent In questions or pain or anger or shame There's still a song in the night Sing though the shadows taunt you See? 
for the morning has come. You're listening to Kemi Agendi with Songs in the Night here on Sydney Wolverton. I came to church a beggar and found I have a saviour so Anna Beden. Hallelujah. It is also very simple. And Kemi Agendi. Don't miss this once-in-a-lifetime event as three of our country's best Christian singer-songwriters come together in concert. October 12th, 6.30 at Maitland SDA Church. Call 0413122348 now to book your seat. You're listening to Faith FM. Positively different radio. Happy Hearts is a free community craft program for kids aged 1 to 5, designed to encourage growth and creativity through Bible stories. Join us each Tuesday during the school term from 9.30 till 11am at the Senior Citizens Hall, 401 Warburton Highway, Wandon North. For more information or to register, go to happyhandsart.com.au forward slash happyhearts or contact Patricia on 0425 854 516. That's 0425 854 516. Happy Hearts. Free fun for kids and the mess stays with us. They seem to never 
never end And you searched in many places But never found that peace But I know someone who will give you all The happiness you deserve Surrender Welcome back, guys. That was Grego Pillay. You're listening to Faith FM. We have come to question of the day time, but before we do our question of the day, we have to do a couple of quizzes for our clue because we missed one there a minute ago. Um, all right, so who am I? This person was king of Israel for two years while David ruled in Judah. Um, he was stabbed to death and his head cut off while he was on his bed. Um let me see here. Okay, here comes another clue that we haven't had yet. I am the son of King Saul, or a son of King Saul. And finally, we have this one. I am Josiah, Ishbosheth, or Solomon. Which one is a son of Saul, King Saul, who ruled over Israel for two years uh, while David was ruling over the tribe of Judah. If you know the answer, give us a call. 1-800-324-843 is the number to call or text us on 0491 064 Kelvin, what is our question of the day? I want to thank 
Darren, he's sent in a nice little mind bender here. Oh, but yeah. The question- These guys have been sending us a bit of a list lately, <laughs> and they're all really good questions. I've been enjoying them, so uh, keep it up, guys. Good. Um, the question is, uh, if Jesus and the Holy Spirit are both divine persons and omniscient, being equal to the Father in essence, how can one make sense of this verse? And the verse is Matthew twenty four thirty six and Mark 13, verse 32. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. Okay, so if the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are omniscient and they are all one. They all know everything. Why is it that only the Father knows this one thing? I know, this is a really good Yeah, question. does the Bible contradict itself <laughs> here? This is a really, really good one. Okay, so the very first thing that this verse highlights, and it's a really important point, is the individuality of the members of the Godhead. So you don't have one being with three different aspects. You have three persons of the Godhead. And you find that demonstrated in a number of places, for instance, the baptism of Jesus, where you have the Father speaks from heaven, the Holy Spirit descends as a dove, and the Son comes up out of the water. Three different persons in three different places doing three different things at the same event. All okay. working together. How do we understand the oneness of that? We understand the oneness of it quite simply in Genesis chapter 1. Um, and verse 26, the Bible said, God God said, let us make man in our image. Our. Us, our That's plural. That's more than one. This is the Godhead working together. And the Bible says that we as humans are made in the image of God, which means that there are some aspects of, you know, who God is that he has passed on to us. And the ability, the the concept and the ability to be, for plural to be one, is actually something that was given to human beings. Because if you go to chapter 2 and verse 24, the Bible says, Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and stick to his wife and they shall be one. And so when we look at the family relationship, of course, because of sin, our family relationships suffer from brokenness. But you take that out of the equation and you actually have the true concept of true oneness. And the oneness of the Godhead is illustrated in the oneness of the family relationship. So that's where the oneness comes in. However, if you've got that kind of oneness, then how is it possible that Jesus does not know the date of Christ's return? Of course, the Holy Spirit is not mentioned here either. Don't have a big problem with that. That's kind of the norm in the Bible. The Holy Spirit is typically assumed in the Bible, whereas um, the, 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 the Jesus is often spoken of quite separately. Uh, let's go to uh, let's go to Philippians. And we'll read a passage here that's going to help us to understand this. Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. The Bible says that Jesus came to this earth and he became a man. He lived as a man. He died as a man. He did not cease to be God, but he left his divinity behind. And he did not draw on any of his divinity while on earth, else it would have been impossible for him to be able to die because divinity cannot die. That divinity was there for him to access at any time that he wanted, but he did not do so. If we go over to Hebrews chapter 2, we find more about it. Hebrews chapter 2, 
And we go to, uh, let me see here, verse 17, wherefore in everything he became like his brethren so that he can be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to help those who are tempted. Jesus was made like us in everything. We don't know when Jesus, when God is, you know, is coming back. We don't know when Jesus has, um, is going to come back. And Jesus, as a human being, did not know the answer to that question either. We're going to listen to Keith Lancaster with Go Tell John. You listen to Faith FM. As he sat there in that prison cell, he knew just how it came about. And he knew his life was over and he was never coming out. But there was just one thing he had to know, he had to make a final plea. So he sent his friends to ask the Lord if he was who he claimed to be. Go tell John that the lame have learned to walk, that the poor can hear the word of God, and the deaf can hear me talk. Go tell John that the blind can finally see. Oh, and blessed is the man who doesn't fall away. He was born so he could tell the world that the kingdom was at hand And that the Christ would soon come after him to complete the Father's plan And there was nothing else he wanted more than to see this kingdom grow It was the only thing that mattered, it was all he had to know So go tell John, go tell John Testify that Jesus was the Son. He only wanted now to know that it was a good thing he had done. Soon he would be murdered by a wicked, evil man. And I'm sure the words of Jesus helped him understand. Go tell John that the lame have learned to walk dead. The poor can hear the word of God And the deaf can hear me talk Go tell John Go tell John The blind can finally see Oh, and blessed is the man who doesn't fall away Oh, and blessed is the man who doesn't fall away Because of me Go tell John Tell John, go tell John, go tell John, that the lame have learned to walk, deaf can hear me talk, that the poor can hear the 
word of God and the deaf can hear me talk. Go tell John. Go tell John. Go tell John. The blind can finally see. Only blessed is the man that has fallen away because of me. Go tell John. Go tell John. Welcome back, guys. You listen to Faith FM, and we have come to the end of our show, which means that we are about to give something away for free. Kelvin has pulled something out of the uh, prize box. What have you got for us there, Kelvin? We have a book by Gerhard Paderatz, I think I've pronounced that correctly, called The Gospel Flies by Night. Okay, this is, and forward by uh, Clifford Goldstein, this is a book that I really want to read. I'm just sitting here looking at it as it came out of the prize box, and I'm like, you know what? I need to buy a copy of this for myself. It looks seriously fascinating. Okay, so on a night flight from the United States to Frankfurt, Gerhard Paderatz meets a woman whom he calls Mrs. Margot Newman. All night long they explore the basic questions of life. Why are we here? Where are we going? Is there a good God? Why is there so much pain and injustice in the world? How should we live? What happens next? About this book, Clifford Goldstein writes that the dialogue allows us to be voyeurs. We can listen over the shoulders of Mr. Paderatz and Mrs. Newman as they talk about everything from UFOs to hell, the 3D movies in heaven, to the vexing problem of human suffering. Whether you agree with Mrs. Newman's scepticism and dismiss Mr. Paderatz's faith or vice versa, it doesn't matter. What matters is that you come away from this all-night conversation enriched. Give us a call right now, one 800 or shoot us a text message if you're fast enough on 0491-064-669 and the gospel flies by night will be yours for free. Don't have to do anything else to win that simply call up. And of course, we love uh, joining you every morning here on Faith FM as we dig into the Bible and current events for The Breakfast Show. We love your company. We look forward to joining with you again tomorrow morning as we consider to explore the great and momentous events that are taking place in our world right now. Where are you now when darkness seems to end? Where are you now when the world is crumbling? Oh, I, I, I hear you say, I hear you say, look up, child, hey, look up, child, hey, where are you now, when all I feel is doubt?
child.